Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Manuel. And this week, we're going through the looking glass? Mm, kind of. <laughs> we watched 1939's Technicolor Dream, The Wizard of Oz. And we're going to talk about it momentarily. But before we do, how was your week? It's I, been way it's longer than a week since we've recorded. Been way longer than a week. <laughs> and it's really, uh, we both got very sick. We did get sick. Remember that sickness I had in December? I had it again in March. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, there was a lot of coughing and uh, a lot of sleeping odd hours and things. But And we just got through the time change, and it's really wreaking havoc. I right. feel like a zombie. It's Thursday, and I'm still, like, reeling from it. Now, mm. I did travel this last weekend, and so that, right. that automatically means happened. less sleep and too much driving. But, yeah, it's... That combined with the weather is very bright at night and very dark in the mornings and nobody wants to get up. It's rough. Hey everybody, let's stop doing time changes, shall we? Although I hear that we want to go back to standard and leave it there. That's better probably. Mm. I think it saves some electricity though. Um daylight does. Mm. Yes. Um both sides have people who argue for them. Right. But I feel like one side, the people who argue for it are like sleep scientists and children's psychologists. And the other side, the people that argue it for it are like, like, um, chambers of commerce and like lobbying groups for certain businesses. So I choose the scientists mm. <laughs> Whatever they argue for, let's time. Let's change the time one more time and leave it alone, or whatever we have to do, because it's it's exhausting. It's exhausting, yes. and it's not necessary anymore. And I'd like to remind everybody. I don't know if you've heard this lately, or ever. Maybe you haven't heard this ever because you haven't heard me preaching about it since it kind of dawned on me about six weeks ago. Everything is made up. And we could just change it if we want to. That's full stop true. Everything's made up, and we could just change it if we want to. Uh, so, if stuff if something isn't working for you, I encourage you to change it so that it works for you. I just, I'm so tired. <laughs> All right, you want to talk about this movie? You learned a lot about the making of this movie. It's almost all very discouraging. Uh, so this movie came out in 1939. Right. Largely um, thought of as one of the greatest cinematic Fantasies years. ever. Oh, you mean the... The, the year 1939. Year. Okay. Not just for Hollywood. Uh-huh. But specifically for the director of this film in general, mm. his name is Victor Fleming, and he directed both this and Gone with the Wind. And he won the Academy Award for Best Director for that other one. Don't look over here. He won it for that one over there. We are not going to watch Gone with the Wind for this miniseries, I do not believe. No, we are not. Um, I have never seen Gone with the Wind. I, at this stage in my life, kind of am like... It's kind of a golden knot to go with the wind, if that makes any sense. Like, like things I never want to do. Eat something called, like, it's called Flaming Hot and watch God with the Wind. God with the Wind is a 
an example of the peak of this age of production. However, it's also very typical of its time, although even as there are issues with the movie, it is much less offensive than the book is. Well, okay, but... Right, which is, you know... I don't want to watch a movie, it's, it's, a four-hour-long movie. Isn't, right. it like, isn't it close to four hours I long? I don't remember, because I've only seen it broken up in parts on television. I've oh, okay, never that seen makes it sense, on a big yeah. Screen. Yeah, three hours and 58 minutes. Mm. Y'all, I just saw Avatar 2. That was 312, and woof. I don't recommend movies that are that long. So, it's it's four hours long, and I have to be on the side of a white woman that runs a plantation. I don't know that I have that four hours in, mm-hmm. in me. I don't think that four hours exists in my body well, anymore. Well, part of the reason why I've never finished watching it is I really, at least the way that the main character is realized in the film, I didn't like her. Yeah. and She, she doesn't seem great. She is interesting in that she is not a wholesome character necessarily, mm-hmm. and she's not even likable at times. But to take this trip with you when there's so many other things, I, I can do that to a certain extent. But when there's so many other things about this story that are, you know, that, that I personally don't like, that are yeah. problematic for me, I'm, yeah, I, it's not, not it. worth the trip for me. So let me, um, the, the 1939 Oscars, mm-hmm. which is actually the 1940 Oscars, right? That's how it works. Like, this is one of those times when you look at the lists from nigh on 100 years later. It's not 100. Mm-hmm. It's 80 plus years later, though. And, you know, a lot of times if you pick up, like, 1952, you can look at the all the names and you'll be like, I don't know 90% of these names. The, the movies from 1939 have had staying power. Um... They didn't call it Best Picture. They called it Outstanding Production at the time. And the nominees were Gone with the Wind, Goodbye Mr. Chips, Love Affair, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Ninochka, is that Ninochka? Of Mice and Men, Stagecoach, The Wizard of Oz, Wuthering Heights, and Dark Victory. Uh, The only one of those I don't know is Dark Victory. Oh, and Love Affair, I guess. So that's a... That's a pretty high ratio yeah. 80 years later to be like, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that. Um, specifically, I think The Wizard of Oz, Stagecoach, Of Mice and Men, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Goodbye, Mr. Chips, and Gone with the Wind are mm-hmm. like right. sort of staples in cinema history. Uh, the others may be as well, but I'm more on the periphery and not deep into film studies, so... Uh, so this, and this director, Victor Fleming, oddly, the two things he's basically known for are directing The Wizard of Oz and directing Gone with the Wind. You'd think after directing The Wizard of Oz and Gone Mm -hmm. with the Wind in the same year, he would have gone on to this massive, illustrious career. My guess, he He had a mental breakdown. (laughs) He didn't, uh, live much longer. He didn't live much longer. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yes, he was, a. Oh, you lived 10 years past this. Right. He he didn't get to... Well, and remember, this is something that uh, that I learned in, in, um, in researching for this film. This is a period of time when MGM was attempting to make release a movie a week. 
Uh, yeah, you had mentioned this earlier. So right. this movie was made by MGM. That's the one with the lions. Mm-hmm. And you said they were trying to film... They were trying to release a film a week. Not film a movie a week, but release a movie every week. So that they would wind up with 52 films or 53 films at the end of the year. Um, they had worked... That's... Hey, everyone? That's too many movies. They had uh, gotten to the point where they could release a film every nine days um, during particular years. But this is the reason why... Release this or finish? Release. You couldn't okay. finish. You can't... Right. Especially a production of this size. Right. Um, which relied on a lot of post-production special effects and things like that. Yes. Still, the films were cranked out very, very quickly. And well, so, Victor Fleming directed right. Gone with the Wind, coming in at four hours long, mm-hmm. and uh, The Wizard of Oz, probably the most post-production heavy film up to this point. No, would I think say? that would no. probably be King Kong. Oh, okay, yeah. Which You're needed probably a right lot of post-production, and then, uh, then I think after this would be... In the early days, Citizen Kane, which had, it turns out, as many special effects shots as King Kong. But that was later but then. Yeah, that was slightly later. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think that uh, Victor Fleming, as a director, I, well, the studio system worked with several hundred regular employees, mm-hmm. stages that were constantly being, um, where there was always manufacture going on, department heads, who ran enormous staffs. There were over 100 makeup artists on this film alone. So it is a really prime example of this kind of filmmaking. However, uh, the problem was that because films were produced this way, you didn't get a great deal of individuality individuality and creativity with movies. And so a director could wind up making a name for himself if he was able to make something from a low-budget film, because that's how you started. Right. Usually as a film A larger editor. corpsman, but right. 30 years earlier. Right, so that's why you got filmmakers like John Huston, who came up through the studio system. And so how... And maybe we talk about it when we right. talk about him. How Orson Welles even got a movie made? He had a huge reputation from being a stage director. Okay. And radio. How do you have a huge... He was 23. He started very early. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I guess. I it, Yeah, because they're not looking for auteur directors. Mm-hmm. They're looking for somebody to churn out what that was coming to the until uh, the 60s, I believe, in French. Sure, but... And it was Godard and these others who came up with this idea, oh, the director is an artist, and this is like a painting. Sure. Mm-hmm. But even th- that, even still, you can look at... Orson Welles specifically mm-hmm. is the and the Hitchcock to an extent, but maybe not until the sixties. Mm-hmm. His early stuff doesn't really just look like Hitchcock, but Welles has a very distinctive visual print. style. Yes, he's yeah. got a, a, a fingerprint. Um, the way that he moves the camera, the way that he mm-hmm. uh, f- uh, stages scenes, things like this, um, that you don't necessarily see mm-hmm. in other films of that time. You will maybe see it in like groups of films, but they're not directed by the same people. They may be written by the same people or have the same people in them, but there's like... At the time, there was a couple of people that were recognized for being geniuses, but they were just run through the treadmill like everybody else. John Ford is one of them, mm-hmm. who just... It doesn't matter how brilliant you are. We're just going to keep you working. Yeah. Notes the grindstone doing Western after Western after Western after Western. 
And so when you had a certain amount of uh, ability or talent, they kind of left you alone. Uh, uh, Howard Hawks is another one mm-hmm. from the early days. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, yeah, that sort of really impressive visual, that kind of thing was something that came out of this period later on. So w- let's let's talk about the story, The Wizard mm-hmm. of Oz. What is your history with... Have you read the books? I have not read the books. Any I, of them? I haven't read any of the books. Interesting, okay. Um, the, I remember seeing this film a lot when I was a kid. It was on every year. It was on... Yeah, I remember it being on, similar to The Sound of Music, right. around Christmas. If not on Christmas... Mm-hmm. Around Christmas, sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's when they were and it was my having like a family audience. Yeah, um, but I don't remember ever like when we talked about it last week coming into this episode. I don't remember the last time I sat down and watched the movie from the beginning to mm-hmm. the end. I remember it being on in the background there or was whatever. A period of time but when it was pulled from television uh, because there was more money to be made uh, after you lock in a vault for a while, I think. And so Disney will teach you a thing or two. Yeah, I hadn't seen it. Um, in it must be at least fifteen years, and I hadn't seen it in at least right. thirty. Yeah, um, maybe more than that. I think it could be uh, more than that. Actually, more than that. It's been twenty years, I guess. So I read all of the books, not mm-hmm. all of the books, but a lot of the books. We had right. my mom collected a bunch of them, so we had both the ones by L. Frank Baum and by his children. Uh, on a in a shelf in in my mom's room, so I do remember mm-hmm. going through those. Um, and then the 1980s brought us the deeply creepy Return to Oz, which I've seen a number of times, more times than I've seen this movie. Mm. Uh, I would argue, it's a better movie. Well, having Sorry, never, everybody. Also, I've read the books, so I'm not I'm sure an 80s exactly baby. how... Not, not a better adaptation, mm. I'm saying it. I think Return to Oz is a better movie than mm. The Wizard of Oz, the movie that we just watched. I will say, upon finishing this film, what? It moves. It goes. Right. Um, it is visually impressive. I find it lazy that they all use the same song. <laughs> like they all have the same motif. The Yellow Brick Road song. It's just cha- the lyrics are just changed for mm-hmm. each new character, which is like a banana's choice to right. me. Um, but cheaper and faster, so I guess there's that. I think that. Well, there are a lot of songs in this film, and I think the Yellow Brick Road is the, the thematically they um, it wound up being a motif because there were several different writers as well, including people like Herman Mankiewicz who wrote Citizen Kane, Man- was one of the early uh, writers. <laughs> yes, and Ogden Nash, the poet. It's very. I do enjoy Ogden Nash very much. It's really odd how many people were called in to do this film, but as we were discussing earlier uh, off mic, um, people didn't really have a great deal of faith in children's, in putting a lot of, investing a lot of time and money into children's films at this time. There wasn't a lot. I mean, later on, there was a, a rival production to this, The Bluebird with Shirley Temple, who was supposed to be the star of this the film. The star of this film, which would have been interesting. Right, um, but they felt uh, on one thing they didn't. The studio didn't want to pay for having Shirley Temple loaned out to their to MGM, and the other thing was they felt that she didn't have yet the vocal range to cover something like Over the Rainbow. But one of the things that was really offensive about watching documentaries from probably the seventies, because this film was a com- commercial failure when it was released, 
Uh, and the critics kind of savaged it. There was one critic who made a comment about how the film had utterly no fantasy or any charm to it at all, and and that no children would want to see it, that they'd probably, you know... That is wild. Which is really strange, considering when I grew up, everyone, when I was a kid, um, in elementary school, I remember everyone saw this film and would talk about it the next day. I used to think, uh-huh. and this is largely because I came from a color world, mm-hmm. I thought this was the first movie that was ever in color. Okay. Like, I thought what we saw when she goes into mm-hmm. Oz is the first time you ever see color on screen, which... Would have been fucking awesome, but it's not the case. Right. That is not the case. Um, is Gone with the Wind in color? Yes, it is. It is. Okay. And it's interesting, too. I had a friend who was, um, who had, uh, she was a co-worker who had seen the film. She was from Bulgaria in a theater. She saw, like, a 16-millimeter print in a small theater in Bulgaria, and she loved the movie. When she saw it on American television in color, she hated it because the print she saw was in black and white. And she said when she saw it in this super saturated color, it looked so overdone that it became a fantasy to her. The whole thing was in black and white? The whole thing was in black and white. Well, that's this weird. is Gone with the Wind. Oh, Gone like, with the Wind. Okay, got yeah. you. Got you. I'm sorry. I got confused. I was like, that's wild. Okay. Yeah, um, this is a film that's obviously made to be seen in color. First of all, I want to talk about the music because you keep saying there's a lot of songs in it. Uh-huh. I've gone to the Wikipedia page right. and I'm looking at the songs. One, Over the Rainbow. We all know it. We love Mm -hmm. it. We especially love it when a Hawaiian man sings it with a ukulele. Then there's the Munchkinland sequence. They've listed a bunch of songs. Mm -hmm. Most of those songs are two lines long, so I would argue it's not a bunch of different songs. Come out. It really was no miracle. We thank you very sweetly. Ding Dong the Witch is Dead. As mayor of Munchkin City... That's their listing as Mayor of Munchkin City as a song. That's literally the two lines of dialogue that that character sings. It's not a whole song unto mm-hmm. itself. As coroner, as coroner, I must have there. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Reprise. We've mm-hmm. got our first duplicate. The Lullaby League, which is literally just we represent the mm-hmm. Lullaby League, the Lullaby League, and we. The, I think they say it three times, and then we say thank her, and they bow, and that's it. That's mm. not a whole song. Same thing with the Lollipop Guild. And then We Welcome You to Munchkin Land is basically everything mm. we've just heard one more time. Then Follow the Brook Road, You're Off to See the Wizard. That's the song. Mm. That song is basically the rest. That's it. It's that and... The character songs, the I want songs. Mm-hmm. Dorothy doesn't. Dorothy's I want song is over the rainbow. She doesn't get one in Oz because what she wanted was to go to Oz. So here we mm-hmm. are. Um, so if I only had a brain, and then we go back to where off to see the wizard. If I only had a heart, once again, not a new song. Mm-hmm. It's the same song over again. And then we're off to see the wizard reprise one. If I only had the noive, the noive. Um, yeah. Which is the same song with Tim The line, interestingly enough, gets two songs. He does. Then we're off to see The Wizard. Uh-huh. Then, then I would argue, Optimistic Voices, new song. The Merry Old Land of Oz is the same music as the Munchkins sing. Mm. Um, if I Were King of the Forest, that is his second mm. song, as you say. And that that's, that's it. That's the song. So there's like five songs. <laughs> um... 
and I just I find the the motif revisiting interesting and I feel like they did it for ease and I feel like they did it because they didn't trust kids to know that many songs they didn't understand that Frozen was going to be a thing in you know 60 years 70 years developing the pattern that later on becomes maybe maybe that's it musical and so this is really the process of trying out what this is like what works on stage yeah there was on yeah on set there were not a lot of what was the year again 1939 39 there were not the, the big the big color musicals came after this right right so this is developing that pattern it just as we were watching it, as we got into the second song, I'm like, yeah, they all sing the same song. Right. And so one of the things <laughs> that I, I discovered was that the Yellow Brick Road song yeah. is was the Yellow Brick Road roundup, which is uh, apparently less important in the book. It is. Is it's more important in later books, uh-huh. but yes, in the right. in the first book, it's not that important. The idea was just that they needed some sort of motif to try this along because also the idea of the film being kind of a, a journey, which is now something that we're very used to. It's something that exists in fantasy literature. Lord of the Rings is a, a long journey with sort of episodic adventures along the way. But that was something new to filmmaking at the time. And so there was a lot of um, a lot of this, they, they hedged their the experimental nature of the, the storytelling here. Yes. Um, and did you want to talk about the plot as we and and then as we go through it's, it's talk about the, the plot making feels so familiar and the plot is very simple i mean one of my favorite that game of describe a movie mm-hmm. badly um where it's like girl goes to a new new country kills the first person kills she the first meets. person she meets and then sets off to with her friends, with her friends to, to kill again or right. something like that which is Accurate. As soon as mm-hmm. we got in there and Glinda lands, I was like, Glinda is the bad guy of this of this movie. Mm-hmm. She is the villain of this film. I have read Wicked. I have seen the play. <laughs> I will see the movie when it comes out. That's not why I think that, though. Right. It's not about that. She lies to Dorothy's face. <laughs> Just lies to her face. Don't know how you could get home. Couldn't possibly help. Uh, and the fact that she just lets the wicked witches basically enslave the population, and she doesn't get get she doesn't get involved because she's good. I'm like, if you if you if you stand aside and do nothing, then you're on the side of tyranny. What do you like? <laughs> I don't. I'm not. I'm not here for Glinda. I also find it interesting, if you don't know everybody, mm-hmm. her friends on the farm are her friends in Oz, but there are no correlations for Glinda and for her aunt and uncle. Right. Um, and I wonder if Glinda is supposed to be a representation of her mother. Possibly. Um, we don't know mm-hmm. anything about her mom. So, let yeah, let's start. Let's Let's do... The movie, and we'll talk about production. Let's do the right. plot, and we'll talk about production as we go. It's going to be pretty quick because right. it is a it is a short thing, and it's like we just go, and this happens, this happens, this happens, and then that's right. a wrap. And a lot of this happens is then then they sing about well, it for a minute, and then they go yes. on about their business. Um, so we start 
with Dorothy coming home with Toto, she's concerned because uh, Toto has gotten into their neighbor's garden. Their neighbor's a real bitch. She's a real Karen. Uh, threatening the dog at every turn. Now, to be fair, keep your dog out of her stuff. I mean, she's not out of line, I don't think. I Don't threaten the dog's life, but, like, if your dog is digging up my garden and you're watching it happen, I'm going to be a little pissed at you. Mm-hmm. Like, excuse me, that you don't, this isn't yours. Uh, so Dorothy comes home and she's explaining, she's just talk, 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 talk. And she's explaining what she's been through this afternoon with Toto and, and their neighbor. Is it Miss Gulch? Uh, Elmira Gulch. Elmira yes. Gulch. What a name. Uh, and she's, uh, not really paying attention, but uncle and aunt are trying to get the birds, the baby chickens, they're counting chickens. Um, and they're trying to batten down hatches because there's a storm coming. Mm. And so she, and I don't know if this scene is played to make her seem younger than she looks. She's, right. she's 16 when they're recording this yeah. or when they're filming this. The character in the books never really gets an age, but if you do the math of like, She's such and such characters, such and like mm-hmm. characters, daughters, nieces, age or whatever. And if you do all of the math, if she's eleven when these right. things start, so she, so Judy Garland is a little old, and maybe to make her appear younger, she is just so completely self-involved. Mm-hmm. I this Here is this is where I lose everybody's respect. Um. And I didn't feel this way for the whole movie, but I did feel this way right at the beginning. I did not like her performance. Mm. The wide-eyed, um, aw shucks, while also being totally oblivious of the goings on around her, irritated the shit out of me. Mm. Um, I had remembered that I didn't like this performance. I find that as she gets to Oz. I don't think she tones it down. I think everything else comes to meet her. Uh-huh. And so the performance doesn't seem so right. obnoxious. But right at the beginning, I'm just like, bitch, read the room. She's <laughs> like her take on Dorothy is really kind of stagey. And she is definitely playing to I the think, back row. Right. And there I, is I no back that, row. Um one of the things that that was really kind of difficult to read about, because I'm not terribly fond of her either. Uh, her performances of uh, as difficult as that might seem for people who really love her. I know people really love her. Right. And I would not take that away from but them. I, I'm not a big fan of musicals and, and things like that. So a lot of the kind of performances that she gives that she's good at are things that I don't see. But I feel very sorry for her having died so young. She died in her mid forties. Um, from an yeah, overdose. her life was yes from an overdose. And so sad that started here apparently, because and this is something that I was really it was hard to listen to. The documentaries I said that I saw started in the seventies and it was about how this film failed commercially on its first run and became popular when it bought, got bought for television and shown every year, which is that that can happen, right? Um, but apparently one of the things that worked against her was the fact that she was 16 years old doing this film. Yeah. 
or when the film started, when she started production, and she was constantly she had curves, and so she's wearing a costume that's meant to yes. hide this. Yes. So that's one thing. You're looking at an older woman pretending to be a younger woman, um, and the production crew. Yeah, she's definitely wearing some sort right. of binding. Um, underneath her dress. Right. Yeah, her pinafore. Yeah. The production crew, as well as the director, Victor Fleming, who really was, uh, as other people who were involved in the production at the time were saying, was very much what would be, he would be called at the time a man's man. He directed a lot of man movies for people like Clark Gable and Spencer Tracy. And so he quit, or he was pulled off The Wizard of Oz two weeks before production ended. Because he was needed to direct Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. Clark Gable insisted because they were having a similar problem running through a cycle of directors the same huh. way that they were running through a cycle of writers for this film. Um, but apparently he was not at all happy about doing this sort of fantasy film for children. He thought possibly that it was beneath him. And he took a lot of abuse out on, on um, uh, Judy Garland. And one of the things that was being the mandates that was sent from the studio was that she had to lose weight constantly. That she was put on a diet of strictly chicken soup. Jesus. And she was given um, amphetamines to keep her from. Of course she was. And this is what led to her eventually yeah. developing a chemical dependency. Of course it is. That killed her at 46 years old when she overdosed. So, um, so that was... I'm like mad. Like, my eyes are hot. <laughs> like, that was hot. one of the things yeah, that I found out about this particular film. Like, wow, okay, that's, that's horrible. That this is the film that set her up for her career, also set it up for the end of her life. Uh, you know, younger than, than me, frankly. Yeah. But what I was offended by listening to documentaries at the time, a lot of the fellow actors were like, yeah, she was such a sweet, chubby girl. And I'm going... Really? That's that's how they talk about Marilyn, too. Right. I don't understand it, uh, but I have more sympathy for her now, knowing that a lot of this was her kind of um, trying to sort of... Live up to... Create a persona as well. Yeah. Where she yeah. didn't feel like she was being hurt by these people. Right. One of the things, apparently, that Fleming did was that um, Ray Boulder talks about who plays a scarecrow doing several takes with her where he would just sort of goof off with her because she was 16 and so yes. he would he was entertained he kept making her laugh right. takes, and that that made Fleming literally come up to her and start shouting at her shouting her down and insisting that she's a professional and she should act like one again this is a 16 year old she's a child right. she is a professional but she's also a child right exactly Oh my God! So there I'm was so aggravated. Yeah. So anyhow, so we we the the first part of the film is her in in Kansas, right? In Kansas, and it is sepia. It's like mm. not even black and white. Right. It is. It looks like an old photograph. Mm. Um, and yes, a storm is a coming, and uh, everybody gets in the storm cellar except well, Dorothy. What happens is the dog runs away. Right, it's the always dog the dog runs running away. away. She meets the man who eventually right. we learn is the wizard. Yes. Um, he's a, he's like a snake oil salesman, right? right? Like literally a snake oil salesman. Um, who's, who's, uh, wagon has broken down. And 
then she realizes, oh, but I love my family, and she's going to go back. Because she's, I think she went to run away. She went to run away she's because... Like, you uh, guys don't appreciate well, me. Well, Miss Gulch was going to threaten to kill her dog. They took her dog, they took Toto uh, to put him down, but Toto escaped. Oh, that's from, right. From uh, Miss Gulch's little bicycle with her basket in the back. And so Dorothy ran away with Toto to keep him from being recaptured. Gotcha. And then she They're runs on the run. Right. <laughs> she winds up discovering that she really wants to go home, and she misses Auntie M because uh, the snake oil salesman, uh, Professor Marvel, Professor is Marvel. is uh, reads gives her a very a false fortune telling reading that describes Auntie M weeping over her because she's lost. Because she's lost. Because so this she, guy knows that he's right. going to send this girl back to her. Because like, she wants to follow him around the world and see all these wonderful places, and doesn't know that his world is going to be the next town, even though he's. So apparently, right. appeared before heads of royalty in, in Europe, and or heads of state and royalty in Europe. So um, when she's coming back, she gets caught in the. Um, she she's caught outside, mm-hmm. um, and she she goes into the house, and she does not do what you're supposed to do, which is get in the bathtub. Right. You're supposed to get in the bathtub, and uh, then the house is lifted up, and spins around, and then plonks back down. And then she goes and she opens the door. And my understanding is the scene where she opens the door, you see her from the back, uh-huh. but it's not Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. It is her stu- her double who is in a toned down wig and dress. And that whole wall is painted sepia. Right. Because this is actually filmed in And this in is what color. you wanted out of, uh, you expressed earlier, you wanted out of um, the scenes with the painting in the portrait of, or the picture of Dorian Gray. Yes. In that it suddenly flashes to an all-color frame around the picture. Yeah. And you're, you were saying, I wish it was just the picture itself. Yes. And this was yes. a very clever way around that. And so they have an all-color frame around the picture, mm-hmm. but they've painted it sepia so it looks like the yeah. rest of the film. And it's quick. Yes. And so you see the back of Dorothy, and she opens the door and leaves the screen from mm-hmm. to the left. And then... Judy Garland in her color dress right. um, walks into Oz right. through the doorway. The colors through Which the doorway was really only. Clever. It was, it's an a, incredible a lot shot. Of, a lot of really, especially when you consider the time that this was done. And we're going to get the same thing when we watch King Kong. It's going to yeah. be like, I'm amazed that they could pull that off back then. The tornado in this film. Yeah. Was done with a with a weather sock that was made of muslin, and it was thirty five feet long, and it was stuffed with fuller's earth, and it was whipped around from a gimbal on the top. Seems the very dangerous. Yes, and one of the very many dangerous things that happened during the making of this film, I was expressing to one of our mutual friends at work that I'm surprised that anybody survived in a way that anybody made it into the you know the the forties or fifties that filmmaking went that much further because. Everything from the makeups to the the characters to um, the pyrotechnics uh, it, and it the a, snow and yeah. the snow, as it turns out, uh, everything about this film Toxic. was dangerous. So she walks out, mm-hmm. and she is in Munchkin Land. Right. Um, she's in Munchkin City, it's where we meet the mayor of Munchkin right. City. And we meet Glinda. She comes in in a bubble. And it turns out that her house has landed on the Wicked Witch of the East. And uh, this woman 
had uh, enslaved these munchkins and treated them terribly for however long. And now they are very grateful that they are free of the tyranny of the Wicked Witch of the East. And uh, for the service, she is granted that the dead lady's shoes, which is weird. And uh, when she asks Glinda how to go home, Glinda says, I don't know. You should talk to the Wizard of Oz. And you have to go find him in the Emerald City. You follow the go- the Yellow Brick Road. There's a bunch of singing. Da, 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 da. But once, I say, once again, it says there are nine songs or whatever. They're three seconds long a piece. Mm. It's not different songs. And uh, and then she is indeed well, off to see the wizard. She is interrupted by the witch. Oh, does the witch show up here? The yeah, she shows up she does, here. Yeah. Um, the Wicked Witch of the West. West. <laughs> and this is played by Margaret Glinda, Hamilton. Linda, I believe, is of the North. And we don't see the the Witch of the South in this. Right. Uh, it's played by Margaret Hamilton, who... Uh, who was, was a, Miss Gulch. Right. So this is the first time where we're seeing a crossover character. Right. Because the Munchkins also don't have corollaries in the she real world. She was wearing a, wake, a makeup that was copper base. There was something put over her skin. She said that it was copper. And then there was this sort of metallic green put the over The green, yeah. This is the scene. She disappears in this in a big puff of smoke and flame. Yes. She was supposed to be... And a lot for of one thing, um, She was supposed to be played by a different actress. The original idea was, again, and think about this in terms of middle-aged men who wanted to see a film that they wanted to see, um, by Gail Sondergaard in a cat suit, who was a, a tall, sexy actress who later on played a cat in a cat suit in The Bluebird, which was the rival studio's film the next year with Shirley Temple that I was mentioning. Mm. And uh, she's accompanied... inappropriate. Right, she's accompanied by a cat and a dog, and they both are played by people, human actors. And I remember that film when I was a kid because it was really... There's a lot of special effects to it, and it was very fantastic, too. Um, but Gail Sondergaard played, essentially played it like she was doing Catwoman, and that's what they wanted for this film until they decided to go in the direction of a more traditional witch uh, character with the makeup and all. When she was doing the scene where she disappears yeah. in this gust of flame, she said that she felt this burning sensation and saw smoke because her makeup had caught fire. Jesus Christ. And it was quickly put out by some of the people on the set. Well, I certainly fucking hope so. Because she was on the elevator platform that sank, and then there's a big poof of smoke, and she's supposed to disappear, but her makeup had caught fire. Because, I guess, it was petroleum-based or whatever they were using at the time. And the thing that kind of saved it was that it didn't burn through the copper, which would have melted and fused to her skin. Uh, But she was in the hospital for several weeks after this, and her part in the film was kind of cut down. Shrink, shrink down. She's because, not in very much of right, it. Which I think actually works, like the Sharking Jaws or Godzilla, for instance. Yeah. Sometimes Although that kind she's of not presence, the scariest thing. She's no. not the scariest thing. The scariest thing is the monkeys, Well, guys. the monkeys or those damn trees. I, this, this, that, that one scene with the trees creeped me out as a kid. Really? The trees, yeah. don't, trees, trees are fine for me. So she gets on the... She gets, the yellow she brick road. gets on the yellow brick road and she starts skipping along. And the next thing we see is a scarecrow in a field, but he cannot even scare a crow. 
and uh, she gets him down. Mm-hmm. He wishes he had a brain, and he is that's Ray Bolger, right? Right. And he is also uh, Hunk. Hunk is the name of his character on the farm. So we have seen him before. You'll recognize his nose, maybe. Mm-hmm. His is my favorite. I really. Here's the thing I do like about this movie, and and I think one of the reasons that maybe it has stayed in consciousness as long as it has. Right. As dangerous as these characters are, these these costumes are, the character design is very good. Right. He and looks he, amazing. He discussed this. He said that he <laughs> and Jack Haley and Bert Lahr were all in, he said that part of the, and I can't tell where the seams are, which is amazing, because you and I used to sit around watching seasons of Face Off. Yeah, yeah. But the, it, it was a really amazing job. I feel did. like for his, it's mm-hmm. almost all just paint, face paint. Right. Because his face, he was a mime, right? Like right. he he and has he a, a lot of song and dance guys there, right. And the for his, it's just that his nose, mm-hmm. which is a very prominent nose, mm-hmm. is just painted darker than the rest of his face. Right. Well, there was apparently it was except there's a rubber nose on the the top of that. Is there really? And there's also a part of it that was rubber. The mouth was free. But he, he said that one of the things... Oh, because it's very smooth. It is right. very smooth. And then there's the, it sort of winds up at the bottom in like in, a cow thing. In the cow thing. Which right, was really convincing to me as a kid. Like, oh, well, that's weird. Yeah. I think to me the, the part that, um, that was creepy to me as a kid was how often he just gets literally the stuffing taken out of him. Yeah. And which is like, that's like your guts. Right. It was disturbing because I kept making that parallel. Yeah. And it happens to him at least twice in the course of the film. Yeah. Yeah. So, he wants a brain. Right. Now, he can sing and dance and walk. Mm-hmm. So, I'd argue he probably has a brain. But, anyways. <laughs> so, he... he his, all, the, the actors here, the dancers and actors, do a really good job of typifying their characters. Yes. His, all of their his, physicality is very acts good. as if... Like his joints aren't quite uh-huh. working. He's like, so floppy. Right. He's the floppiest. Exactly. And apparently, he also had a, the best relationship of the three with Judy. With Judy Garland. The scarecrow, I must you most of all, I believe, is that just an ad. Right. I think that might just be an ad lib. I think that might be just Judy Garland talking to him. <laughs> she's 16 years old, and so he kept trying to lighten things up on the set. Yeah. Apparently, um, the next character that we meet really hated working on this film. <laughs> So, yeah, next up, Jack Haley, uh, Hickory on the Farm, Mm -hmm. which I thought was the name of the horse. Right. Uh, And he is the Tin Man. Right. And he was the last... So he is stiff. He has probably the hardest physicality to do. Also, that metallic paint, mad great for you. He he was a last-minute replacement for Buddy Ebsen. Who later on went on to do the Beverly Hillbillies and Barnaby Jones. So he had a great career, Buddy Ebsen did. But he he was a song and dance man who'd actually I think done dances with Shirley Temple and did a lot of. You know, uh-huh. But he uh, he had a horrible severe allergic reaction to the the, the makeup. The makeup and the makeup tests. There are pictures right. from the makeup tests of and, Buddy Epstein. And he had to be hospitalized. And, he, yeah. and so probably even the bed next to Martin Hamilton, if you know the the emergency ward wow. from the MGM actors. So, yeah, so they paint him all, once again, all silver. Mm-hmm. And he's very much like every time it's wet, he's got to do his creaky right. joints. Um, and he wants a heart. Yes. So he's going to go appeal to the wizard for a heart. And then they're back on the road again. 
walking through the creepy, creepy forest. And the cowardly lion comes out like a fucking dick. Just not cowardly at all until you boop him on the nose, then he's real real cowardly. And so that the that that's the character that I'm like, this character doesn't make sense. Because he comes out full of bluster. That is courage. I never really kind of understood this character mm-hmm. because here's the th- here's what bravery is. Right. Being scared and doing it anyway. Oh, exactly, yes. If you're not scared, it's not courage. Mm-hmm. It's just doing shit. <laughs> like, that was uh, something... Um, I read The Sea Wolf when I was younger. That ex- explains the whole notion of yeah. courage is not... The absence of fear. It's not. It is understanding the risks involved and then doing And then doing the it thing. anyways, yes. Um, um, I liked his character, though, from my childhood on. I think he was one of my favorites. I like the character. It's just confusing right. Well, to it's, me. He's, But he was just so damn funny. He is Bert very funny. Is really funny. His, little, his accent and his <laughs> whole, like, the... Uh, <laughs> he's, I mean... He's going to be imitated until the end. Oh yeah, of time. he was. Yes, I've seen um, it. You know every, you know every Everyone third Family Guy character is Robin this, Williams right? to Dan Aykroyd doing imitations of Burt Lahr. Yeah, and I think that apparently he had the hardest time because his costume. I mean, the Tin Woodman's costume was re- restrictive. Real restrictive, yeah. But his was so heavy. Not to mention, there's literally some guy in the rafters working a tail. The whole Did time. they basically? Yeah, they, yes. His tail is never stopping. Right. Is he basically wearing like a giant beanbag? He's wearing a huge suit, and then there's the rubber makeup over his there's face. There's a lot and, of rubber on his face. And yes. so it's. But it's so good. Um, the way that it's cut around his mouth. Right. The character design here is amazing. It is very very good. He's got also the the most beautiful curly. Hair all around him, and they they make it even shinier and better later. So his character on the on the mm. uh, farm is Zeke. So these these three men are the three farm hands right. on Auntie M's farm, um, and then they continue on. They say, "Okay, well, we can get you some courage." Right. You already have some. Um. Well, all of them. What he really needs is all um, of them have already have what they're looking for. Yes, of course. Uh, the only one who doesn't is. Dorothy, because Glenda lied to her fucking face. Because she does have everything that she needs. She doesn't know what she doesn't know. Um, And then then they go off to the... And and there's... um, The the witch is watching them. Knows where they are. And I don't... The the other thing that's a little bit weird is they're walking... Everybody knows how, how they're going to get there. They're following the yellow brick road to the right. Emerald City. So that is the path. Um, and the Wicked Witch throws up an obstacle, and that obstacle is an entire field of poppies that's going to put them to sleep. Y'all, that's an opium reference. It's a legitimate heroin reference in a children's story. Right. Also, how did she just make... like I? I'm pretty sure that poppy field is just there. She takes some credit, and I'm like, that's bullshit. You didn't just make that poppy field the pier. Who causes it to snow? Is it Glinda? I can't remember. Glinda causes it to snow. Right. It's the bubble. You see the pink bubble come. Right, okay. And then snow comes. But it's not snow. What is it? Asbestos. Jesus Christ. They were The actors were literally on top of all of their other issues. They were just dusted with shovelfuls of asbestos. And here's... 
Here's some fun information from a mm. woman who used to work in asbestos litigation. Mm. Asbestos is not dangerous if it's not friable. What is friable, you might ask? Uh, friable means like to pull apart, like easily pulled apart into into its um, individual right. uh, strands. Okay. So when you mine asbestos, it, it's in a rock, it's in serpentine, it's in the state rock of California, mm-hmm. and while it's in that rock, can't hurt you. You could lick it; it won't do you. It won't do anything. But they mill it. And then it it's these very thin, very fine fibers that if they get into your lungs will cause terminal cancer after a very long time, mm-hmm. if you're susceptible to it. Everybody is different. So anything that looks like snow and is made out of asbestos is basically the most fucking dangerous thing this you can imagine. This is a public service announcement from <sighs> Ms. Amity Armstrong, formerly of Kaiser Sons and Levin. Levin Sons, Kaiser and Gordon. Anyhow, but here's the interesting thing. It's This was, fucking at real. some point they realized this was a bad idea. A few years later when Orson Welles is doing Jane Eyre, um, he says that they, like, well, we didn't use asbestos. We used they they spread mica chips all over the place, which turned out to be just as also dangerous. bad. Yes, you're not supposed to inhale things like this. No, the the problem is the inhalation um, of these things, and it's not a problem day mm. of. It's a problem twenty, thirty, forty years later. Right. Now, everybody who worked on this film, I believe, at this point is deceased. Is, is probably yes. Um, I will. I would say so. But I bet, well, I don't know what the statistics are, but there's definitely old Hollywood people who died well, of meso. The, yeah, there's there's a lot of, um, well, we'll talk about that at some point, but there's a, a theory that any number of people who worked on a particular film, a really bad film that John Wayne did, he, along with most of the other people working on this film, died of cancer. Oh, Jesus, and they think it might all Well, because kind there of... were truckloads of Earth taken from... A former atomic testing site that were brought back to the studio, and you can count the number of actors from this film, the leads, all of the leads died of cancer. Um, and yeah, but that's a whole other story. Anyhow, out of 220 members of the film crew, 91 would contract cancer. Which one's this? That I presume it's that. I suppose so, yeah. I literally Google John Wade cancer atomic testing. <laughs> right. So. There's a very good chance that these people all died because of exposure to radio- radiation. Radiation. Radiation from. I mean, and, and like the thing from another world. Mm-hmm. Right. The original right. The Thing. When they light that dude on fire, he's just wearing a suit that is asbestos. Right. Not the most dangerous version of asbestos, but not the least dangerous version. No. Um. And asbestos, I remember. I, I remember watching a. I mean, in the seven, in the sixties and seventies, uh-huh. every company in the in the country was like, you know, what would make our product better. Right. Asbestos. Well, and there was a, there was a an episode of the old. Uh, this is the eighties, I guess, the early eighties, the Incredible Hulk, the TV show, uh-huh. where uh, one of the stories that you know David Banner, David Banner, as opposed to Bruce, Bruce right. is wandering around and um, he's. Um, you know, he, he was like a, it's based on, almost on Les Miserables. You know, every week he's someplace else helping somebody. At one 
occasionally he's helping these firefighters. And there was a, a what felt like a commercial for asbestos. Yeah. Yes. In this episode. In certain. Right. Um, it saved a lot of lives. It also ended a oh, lot of lives. It ended them horribly. Yes. It's a horrible, it's a, it's horrible a bad, way to go. It's a bad way to go. And it's one of those things where I'll see it on a... I watch a lot of medical dramas. Mm -hmm. And if somebody comes in with miso and they're like, it's all right, we're going to treat you and you'll be fine. I'm like, no, the fuck you won't. Yeah. It is a 98% terminal diagnosis. Because you ha you it, it took you 40 years to get it. Mm -hmm. um, but it causes a irreversible thickening of the lining of the lungs that basically suffocates you. Right. Oh, God, it's horrible. It's really I mean, just bad. in the last couple of weeks. And not just your lungs. It right. can also be your omentum. It can be your, uh, uh, the lining around your heart, right. the lining around your guts. All, all of those the last can be couple affected. Of weeks having the, uh, the flu, right? The uh, idea of having to cough up stuff out of your lungs and yep. the struggle to breathe, it, that's horrible yep. to me. Yep, yep, yep. Um, the idea that, of slowly just being suffocated by your own body, that's mm -hmm. horrible. Mm -hmm. Anyhow. Yeah. Yeah, no good. No yeah. good, very bad. Don't do it. If you uh, see some Virginia Slims from the 1970s, don't smoke them. They used it in the filters. Oh, God. Okay. The All worst. Because right. what are you doing? Breathing right through it. Like, mm. it's... Mm -mm. Uh, yeah, old brake pads. Um, and that's the other thing is um, where it is mostly in houses now, if you have to get asbestos abatement, is either in your insulation mm -hmm. or, which is w the worst because it's fluffy right. and fluffy is friable, or in the adhesive um, in linoleum from the 70s, uh, which is less bad but still not great because it's so old now that it will chip and flake right. and okay. become friable. So that's typically where you see it currently. Um, we haven't fully outlawed it yet <laughs> because we're the best, um, but it's not actively being put in products because uh, there's too many lawsuits. Right. Um, but once again, there's that mitigation of, well, you're not going to get sick for 30, 40 years, so let's get our money now. Capitalism's killing us all. All right. They're at the... Now, okay, so they they wake up in the poppies. They don't re-succumb. Mm -hmm. They see the, the city, and they continue on their journey. Right. And they get in to Vemel City, um, and they... Do they Is this where they get their little makeover? That yeah, is. They, do. they get their makeover. Her hair goes from pigtails to... Half up, half down, and uh, I guess they all kind of get cleaned up. But yes, really, the one that looks the most cleaned up is the lion for some reason. <laughs> He's just so sparkly, and like his hair is in ringlets. It's so beautiful. <laughs> and they go to see the wizard, and the wizard's like, "Thanks, but no thanks. Um, actually, uh, you could just bring me back the wicked, the the wizard, uh, the broom. wicked witch of the west's right. broom." Now, mind you, Take it back by because she figures that that's going to get them the killed and they will go away. Terrifying. Wizard's a big, big green head. 
big, big green head. Right. And I, I uh reminds me of the third rock from the sun. Right. It reminds me of Remember, Pet Cemetery. We didn't make the head, we just made it big and giant, right. which is basically exactly what he's doing. <laughs> uh Pet Cemetery, the uh the when we were reviewing that, yeah. that's the book I think possibly the film. I don't remember the film references that that uh uh, the sick sister who's yeah. in bed is uh, referred to as Oz the Great and Terrible. Because um, her head is big. Because she's and m- she's the wrong color. And she's demanding and she's, you know. Yeah, uh, he's um he's a real dick. Yeah. But it's mostly because he's. Um, he's uh, fronting. Yes, front, the street. Front. <laughs> and so they go off to kill again. Uh, and. This part I get confused. What happens? They just go. Dorothy gets kidnapped. Dorothy gets kidnapped. And she's locked in a room with a hourglass. And when the That's hourglass right. is up, she will die. She will die. It's so a very, is, I'm going to tell you my <coughs> my dastardly yeah, plan again, and then for, leave you alone. For a children's movie, this is the part <laughs> that, if we're looking at, is this film thrilling? This is the part that becomes thrilling because they have suddenly... Uh, all the uh, all the music and dancing and happiness aside, you have a real time limit. If this runs out, you don't know how she's going to die, but she's going to die. So our heroes, the the three of them, have to do something now, and they're pressed into action. So this is the part that I would say qualifies. As and they have to a climb thriller. up like mm-hmm. she lives in a in a castle up in the right. very tall mountains. She is she kidnapped by the damn. The flying monkeys are very creepy in this movie, and I don't like them. They're probably little people mm-hmm. in these, like, almost, they look like wooden masks. Well, there, there's a whole full bodysuit. There's a motorized wings that happened. Mm-hmm. There was a, it, it was a really complicated, sophisticated they just costume. Look long, right. though. They don't look like a living organism. Mm-hmm. They look almost like clockwork. Right. In a real disconcerting way. Um, but the, the boys, they do it, they climb, oh, Toto has gotten out and then found them and then is bringing them back. Which is probably why Toto got paid more than the Munchkin actors, actually. I kid you not. They were all paid various degrees of, like, the scale that was provided by the studio and Toto got paid more than some of the human actors, which they were not happy about. If you look at my face right now, you can tell I'm also not happy about right. that. The fuck? I, I'm like, well done with capitalism. Um, like, like, real done. Um, so she... Do they, do they get there before... They get there before it runs out. Well, but as it's running out... Like Dorothy is struggling, and she's she's about to be killed somehow, right. and then she spills water. On the well, what happens is that the they they get there. There's a whole the 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 cowardly lion. Uh, they do something that has been done in every kind of adventure film since then, which is the three of them jump the guards, beat them up, steal their costumes, and infiltrate. That's which right, is, infiltrate. That's right. Which has do. happened. I mean, it's like I was watching Star Wars with the, the very first. That's right. And she sets fire to Scarecrow, which is fucked up. Right. 
like deeply, it, deeply fucked up. They, they, they rescue her. Uh, the woodman actually uses that axe, breaks yeah. down the door. They rescue Dorothy, but then they're surrounded by the queen's uh, or the the, the, the witches, the witches guards, guards, and yeah. her flying, flying monkeys. So now That's they're right. outnumbered. And uh, she gets a torch and tries to set fire. She to, sets fire to, to her scarecrow. Broom. And then she's going to, all right, she's going to and set then, fire. And then Dorothy grabs a bucket of water um, and throws it on Scarecrow to save him, splashes the witch, and she's like, I'm melting! And she has the best death scene. Right. That's why that is also captured, like, parody right. to now. Like, I guess if she's only going to be on set for two days, <laughs> she's going to, like, make it matter. Um but she she does a whole like look at me <laughs> look at me I'm dying look at me I'm just like bitch we're looking at you <laughs> like so down and then she does what a world melt. what a world what a, what a world <laughs> what a world which is a great thing to tell in a children's book I think that movie. one and um, I think uh, the uh, the three musketeers when Madame uh, uh, the the villainess when she dies. She's being taken to to be uh, executed, and she just breaks free and yells, "I'm too young to die." And I think that's the other line yeah. that just what stays a with me. That's it's very frequently parodied. And like, then, like, then the witch's guards are like, "Oh, we don't have to deal with this bitch anymore. Awesome!" Here's well, yeah, her they were all under a spell, apparently. Were they under a spell? Or that's what they she said. They were under the witch's jobs. spell. It really feels like um, a bunch of Nazis to me. And so now they're free, and they're very happy that they're free because. I think the first thing they think is, oh my god, we're still surrounded by all these people. Flying monkeys, I don't know what, what they're doing. Uh, something tells me the flying monkeys are... Uh, they seem Some wicked. horrible abomination, I but, don't know. But the guards are like, oh, we're free of her spells. You know, thank you very much. And, and, and then, then they, she they're goes, like, here's your broom. And then they go back to the wizard. And the wizard's like, come back tomorrow. And they're like, okay. And they go back tomorrow. And then it's the... Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Right. I'm not going to help you guys. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. No, thanks for that thing, but I'm still not going to do anything. And then um, Toto pulls back the curtain, and of course it is. It is our snake oil salesman. Right. Professor Marvel. Professor Marvel, who has who is blown here on a balloon. Right. Um, um, but he does say... He grants the wishes of everybody by basically giving them a certificate or a medal well, that that's just the, is for what they've right, already again, done. What they've already done because <laughs> in stealing this from the witch, they've all exhibited the same qualities that they're looking for. Right. That they've been trying to find this entire time. So they've right. already had it. So like so like Scarecrow gets like like a like a diploma, uh-huh. basically, right? And the Tin Man I don't remember what his thing he gets is. Like a, he gets a, a heart shaped clock that's ticking. That's right. Um, and then the 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 lion gets, of course, a medal because right. that's how you prove that you're courageous. A medal. Um, and then he's like, "I will take you back to Kansas. That's where I come from too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll go on my balloon. I haven't tried it before, but sure, it should work." It's wild. And then. They're going to get in the balloon, and she's saying goodbye to everybody, and this fucking dog runs away again. This dog so well behaved when it doesn't matter. 
and yeah. so terrible when it does. <laughs> and she chases Toto down, and of course, Marvel has already left. The Wizard of Oz has already left, and he doesn't know how to make the balloon land. He can only go up. He can't come back down, which doesn't bode well for him on the other side, by the way. Uh, She's just, like, so sad. But then Glinda shows up, and is like, hey, remember when I said I didn't know how to get you home? I was a lying liar who lies. You know, all you have to do is really want it. And tap your heels together. It's like the secret. Say it out loud and tap your heels together three times. Um, And I wonder if those shoes are important. Probably. They are a vibe. Are they magic? They belong to a witch. I presume that they're magic. Um, And then she says, well, I didn't tell you before because you wouldn't have believed me. And I'm like, you didn't even try. Well, for that matter... Bitch, you don't read minds. <laughs> why does Professor Marvel send them off to get the witch's broom? Because he thinks they're not going to survive. And therefore, he won't be exposed as a fraud. Because just like... Yes. So that... And it's like everyone is like, here is... Go off and kill my enemies, right. please. Because I'm not going to do anything. Because yeah. I couldn't possibly lift my finger against tyranny. Because I'm good. No, you're not. No, you're not. She's evil. The mundanity of evil. I'm sorry to see how this, how badly this has affected you. But then she wakes her in her bed, and there's a washcloth on her forehead, and we're in sepia again, and she says, you were there, and you were there. But you know who wasn't there? Auntie M. <laughs> and Uncle, what's his face? I want to say Fred. Even Professor Marvel's Henry. like peeking his head through a window going, oh, look, you're one Look, you're, she's back. Yeah, she's, yeah. Um, and then she... Even though they ignore her and t- and are like, "Oh, you've just had a bad dream," she's just like, "No matter, there's no place like home." And then that's the end. The end. And mm-hmm. this is back when they actually put the words "the end" in big letters on the screen. And then that is in fact the end. Right. So you thought it was thrilling when the big I think when the big t- clock was ticking down. Or I the, think uh, that was the the thriller part of the film. It's like when we were watching. Um, I don't think that this movie belongs on this no, list. No, it doesn't belong on this list. <laughs> okay, I'll um, say that. It's When we were watching um, The Wild Bunch, we talked about how it's intermittently thrilling, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it's just kind of like it's a bunch of hard, angry men taking out on each other and taking revenge right. on... And then there were moments like, well, the part with the bridge where the, the, the yeah, was the, that TikTok um, right? Ti- yeah, the time element oh, gets introduced. There's and, a yeah. whole wagon full of dynamite, and the bridge breaks down, and then they're trying to move it. That was thrilling. That was genuinely like, oh god, what's going to happen next? And I think that it, it's really a children's film. It should be on the list for fantasy movies, certainly, because this was a game changer in terms of fantasy. I don't know that I would call it overall thrilling, though. No, I don't think so, and. I feel like what the AFI did to get this list, because this is in the top ten of the AFI's hundred movie, hundred mm-hmm. movies, hundred right. best American films. So it's kind of like, but I feel like they looked at their AFI's top hundred and they were like, what could fit in thrills? Mm-hmm. And then they pulled like fifty, and then they filled in the rest. Right. And I don't. This one is not. This I don't. It's not thrilling. I mean, it's fine. So, but but if I'm like 
I'm in the mood to watch something thrilling. I'm not throwing on the Wizard of Oz. So maybe the Return to Oz, but that's just because I'm terrified of that movie. That's so, a horror film. It is a bit of a horror film. Yes. Um, so having aside from thrills aside, watching it now as an adult, how do you feel about this particular film? You know, I liked it better than I thought I was going uh-huh. to, but also now I feel like I'm good. I don't need to see it ever again. Right. It was interesting <sighs> revisiting it. At this it point was. in your life. Yeah. And looking at it going, okay, so there is there is there are things to admire about the finished production. It's so fucked up how I yeah, I don't like thinking about how the movie was made because apparently it was just push, push, push and push these actors to their limits and physically I do, injuring them to get it done. I would like to you know what I would like to do? Mm. Go to a theater and have them do the Pink Floyd Wizard of Oz sink that is an experience i would like to have yeah. i've never i don't listen to pink floyd right um but what they say dark side of the rainbow right or the mm-hmm. wizard of floyd so you take dark side of the moon and the wizard of oz and you um you hit play at a certain time i think maybe it's right when the she opens the door um and the the music seems to match up to what's going on oh, on that's the screen interesting. Um, for the entirety of the the the, the uh, album. I've never done it. That feels like an experience I wouldn't hate to have, just to see. But um, yeah, there were so many fucked up things with the making of this movie, and to know that like it's the beginning of her end, thirty years later, like sucks. Like that right. sucks. You know what it made me want to do again, actually, mm. in terms of something I wanted to see, and apparently there, it's on YouTube, is to watch the live performance that was done. Oh, with Jewel? Yeah, 1995. And, it and was... Jackson Brown plays the, skeleton, the right. Scarecrow. Um, I remember that very much. I don't remember any, but, oh, is um, James Taylor? Uh, it's, uh, Jewel is playing Dorothy. That was the first time I ever saw her. Oh, interesting. I remember this. I stumbled across it while it was airing on television. Joel Grey is Professor Marvel. Joel Grey, okay. Uh, Jackson Brown is a scarecrow. Roger Daltrey is a tin man. Roger Daltrey is a tin man. Nathan Lane is a cowardly lion, which is great. Natalie Cole is Glenda the Good Witch. Deborah Winger is the Wicked Witch of the West. Deborah Winger? Right. Isn't 1995 like smack in the middle of... Where what happened to different winner? Right. <laughs> but it was uh And they're dressed up. Uh-huh. It's like that Lay Miz um production right. that you were watching the other day. Um Yeah, where they're they're in they're dressed and then they have music stands basically in front of them and they're acting it out. Yeah, I think part of the issue that I have in But without now, the stage production. And you'll have it in watching some of the older films too. And although you didn't seem to have it it's interesting watching your reaction to things at your age. Yeah. Watching the way that you reacted to the silent films that we saw, like the Phantom of the Opera, it's there's a whole different style of acting that happened with Phantom of the Opera. Weirdly enough, a lot of the silent film acting is more realistic than the acting that happened afterward, because once people began talking, then it became the Mid Atlantic accent and yeah. all the nonsense that went with that and. Yeah, right. Um, Everybody has to sound like they're from a place that doesn't exist. Right. So there was this sort of adjustment (sighs) that you had to do, and the acting style changed a lot. And so 
this and again when we see King Kong and some of the others, people do these really irrational things for the sake of doing really irrational things. Right. They're moved along because the plot tells them to. And in this case, um I guess because it's a fairy tale it's okay. But uh but yeah, it's it was fun to watch, I think. But as you said, it's like yeah, I think that's it's lovely. It's not a film that it made me want to watch some of the other movies around this. Um, Laurel and Hardy did March of the Wooden Soldiers or Babes in Toyland. Babes in Toyland, yeah. Uh, a number of years before. Um, in 1934. It's wild. So You know what's really wild to me? Uh-huh. Is that there are three movies from The Wizard of Oz that were made from The Wizard of Oz stories. Mm. And that's it. Right. This one, The Return to Oz in the 80s, and then, I don't remember what it was called, was but an, The Wizard of Oz. There was an animated film um, that was done. Uh, was it released theatrically? It was released theatrically, and then it was done on television, which is when I remember it. And uh, sadly. Okay, so maybe four. Sadly, but like, it was hosted by Bill Cosby. Oh, God. Well, um, then I'm out. Um, but, yeah. Because there was, then there was the the sort of prequel version. Right, with James Franco. With James Franco as Oz. And then, um, and that seemed to take a little bit, I don't remember if they used the names and things, but I don't think so, from from Gregory Maguire. So Gregory Maguire is an author who writes alternate versions of classic Mm -hmm. stories. The most famous is the Wicked series (laughs) series as <laughs> wicked the son of a witch a lion among men and out of oz he did a series of them uh he also did confessions of an ugly stepsister which was based on cinderella mirror mirror which is based on uh snow white um after alice which is an alice murderland situation it basically they're like alternative histories right of famous yeah stories and the books are really good. Okay. I really enjoyed I read all of them that were out when we were working at Cody's. Mm-hmm. I just went through his entire bibliography. Um, I haven't read um, all of the Oz books, the Wicked books, because uh, like the most recent one came out in 2011. Um, and I was well out of the bookstore by then. Um, and then they turned Wicked into... A Broadway show, which I saw before it was on Broadway. They did previews Mm -hmm. before it was on Broadway in San Francisco, and I got to go. And it was phenomenal. And it's one of the most popular Broadway shows in history. Mm -hmm. Um, It won, like, fucking all of the awards. And Mm -hmm. now, this year, they're releasing the film. Uh, part one. I guess they're going to do it in two parts, which there's no reason to do that. If yeah. Avatar can be three hours and 12 minutes long, you can turn a I Broadway think, play right. that everybody does but in one night into one The movie. advantage <laughs> of working in this period of time in film, look how everything in The Wizard of Oz was truncated into one story that was less than two hours. 
And one of the great things about filmmaking at this time is that they could certainly edit and prune and make it to... It comes out next fit. year. Um, yeah, they could. Or you could just do what they're doing on Broadway and just right. do that. Like, you're using all the songs. Mm -hmm. So that's what you're doing. Right. So if you're adding more in, you're going back to the book, or are you... Are you going to go back to the original, original source material? Like, stop it. I do trust John Chu. I've, I like his work. Mm -hmm. He's directing it. And yeah, they, uh, under adapted from both Wicked and The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, which is the book, the name of the original book, are listed as, you know, based upon. But it's Christmas holidays, right? Though, though they're they're coming out. It's coming out in November of twenty twenty four and November of twenty or and then maybe December of twenty twenty five. And the only way I can think that they're going to do it is Act One and Act Two of the play. Okay, she's going to sing "Defying Gravity" and fly mm -hmm. off, and that's going to be the end of Part One <laughs> because that's the end of Part One in the play. But like, it's very good, and uh, Cynthia Erivo is going to be playing Alphaba. Mm -hmm. Loved to see Cynthia Revo singing in a movie. So often she's not singing in the movies that she's in, and it seems like a waste. Um, Ariana Grande is playing Glinda, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me, uh, but I've never seen her act. Maybe she's good at it. I don't know. It's It seems crazy to me that there are these, it's this series of books that's like literally now dozens of books and they've only made a handful of right. movies out of them. How yeah. was it? How was it not like an animated series? Or I, I mean, like maybe that's something that that's, uh, I remember. And it's possible right. that all of it's tied up with rights things, and they never w Must wanted have it. Or the domain, the public domain, by now. I think. Not if they keep re-upping. I mean, mm. you can keep. Re-upping, and they've been releasing books. I mean, there are books being released up until like now, I think. So he wrote, L. Frank Baum wrote 14 books, Oz books. Mm. Um, he also wrote plays and other um, books. Ruth Plumley Thompson wrote books picking up. I'm trying to see. So the last book that uh, Baum wrote was in 1920. She picked up in 1921 and published basically a book a year until 1939. Mm -hmm. And then, starting in 1940, the, the illustrator of the original books, all of the books, all, including Ruth's, wrote three books, 1940, 1941, and 1942. And then three more books were Two books were written by Rachel Cosgrove. And then there have been subsequent books published by the International Wizard of Oz Club. Wow. From 1958 all the way up through 2006. Uh, other books officially recognized as following the Oz canon by the Family Trust, uh, 2005, 2006, and 2014. And then Oz books by other writers, there's a bunch. Um, but they're like not canon, and a lot of them are like dark takes on. Well, as we can see, a nightmare in Oz. 
the there black rainbow of Oz. And like, the dark takes in this story yeah. material. And then there's a bunch of alternate Oz books. Um, so, yeah, there's, I mean, it's just like dozens and dozens and dozens of books. And it's a fairly cinematic world. Mm. It feels like as many times as Alice in Wonderland has been made. Right. What's happened? Why no Dorothy? What's going on? I mean, there's 11 John Potter novels. Hollywood never goes, we did it. Right. We don't have to do this again. The fact that every 10 years there isn't a new Wizard of Oz, but we can have six Pinocchios a year. Right. What's, I'm very confused. Uh, Maybe because it's a girl? I don't know. Maybe. Mm. Fuck. That's probably it. I'm sad now. No. Have anything else to say about Oz no, and Dorothy I and the wizard and how Glinda was a? <clears throat> I'll let. Yeah, she's a problem. I have nothing kind to say about Glinda now. No, I don't. Or the bubble. wizard, for that matter. She's not plump. She's sixteen. Woof. Um. So that's it. That's the Wizard okay. of Oz. So next week, mm-hmm. we're going to watch the opposite of this movie. Although, we could probably draw some parallels. Uh, we're going to watch 1984 James Cameron masterpiece blockbuster, uh-huh. The Terminator. Okay. We're going back in time. We've already talked about Terminator 2. So was Terminator, actually. We're going all the way back. Yes, so was he. Exactly. He does kind of... He is... He's not un-Dorothy. Like, <laughs> comes here, kills a bunch of people. Right. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, so we'll count the ways in which the Terminator, which is the character's name, is like Dorothy. <laughs> yeah, I have strong opinions, but we'll discuss that. I don't remember it. the original one. I think I'm going to have feelings about the impregnation of Sarah Connor. <laughs> Well, I'm going to... This is a story that... Like, you sent your dad back to impregnate your mom? That's fucked up. It's a story that I learned in Sunday school that suddenly was like, wait, what? what is this? Mind you, I don't think James Cameron is a great writer. Oh, the coiner of unobtainium is not a great writer? No, I don't think he's say? a great writer. Um, and it's funny that I brought up John Carter a few minutes ago. Yes, but, yeah. Uh, it's interesting how much the actual film version of John Carter had to alter things because so much of it got, so much of Avatar is actually taken from the first John Carter uh, book. And similarly, this was taken largely from an episode of The Outer Limits, and he admitted that. Uh, And Harlan Ellison was able to actually sue him because he made an open admission. I was watching TV late one night, and I got this idea watching an episode of The Outer Limits. It's like, well, my work isn't a junk or a junkyard where you can just sort of strip it and put parts together. So, well, except that is how art works, right? But that's how the creative process works. Something mm-hmm. kicks off a, a spark in your brain, right? Like right. every every everything I've ever drawn, everything everything I've ever painted, everything I've ever written came from a spark from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm smart 
and I'm on television. I'm not going to say where it came from, so I don't get sued. But I think that was part of what was <laughs> offensive to Ellison was just the fact that, oh, and Ellison, mind you, this is Oh, he was also a dickhead. He's an offensive person himself. <laughs> yeah, I forgot who we were talking about. Right. That dude was an asshole. <laughs> but, um, but the idea that, yeah, you can just with impunity just say, oh, I took it from here. And it's, well, but anyhow, we'll discuss that. We'll discuss That's... It. White men can do that with impunity. Other people can't do that shit with impunity. They will get sued into non-existence. Mm. And some white men get sued into non-existence. Sam Smith did. Like, right. Well, know, Vanilla Ice. There are people who have had to go, right. oh, I did take that thing that was already a well, thing. James Cameron lost his lawsuit. He had to pay up, and he had to credit Harlan Ellison in the future for it. So that it worked in his favor. But yeah, there's... Yeah, we'll discuss it. And yet, he still gets so much money. So next week, The Terminator, 1984. The original one. The very first one. Based on Harlan Harlan Ellison's work. Um, Until then, Mm -hmm. do you have anything you want to recommend? You have to have watched something at some point. I'm trying to remember what I've seen, because it's been a while. I know that I have seen things. Y'all, we started watching Servant. Uh-huh. We finally finished Severance. It's good. We finally it finished Poker yes. Face. It's good. We finally finished The Last of Us. Finally finished it. It, it wrapped right. up. It was all of those. Good. Uh, absolutely. Thumbs up on all of those. But we started watching Servant. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the first episode, there's a what the fuck moment. I don't even... We're three episodes in. To four seasons, and I am saying, watch the show, it's wild. If you have Apple TV, and you've been sleeping on M. Night Shyamalan's TV show that's got 30-minute episodes, watch it. Just watch the first episode. If at the end of the first episode, you don't want to start the second episode, (laughs) you've lost only a half an hour of your life. Really weirdly compelling, and the characters are... Not quite likable. They're but not likable. They're understandable for their motivations. And then the longer the story goes on, you're going, oh my God, these people have, some of them have a reason for behaving this way. Yeah. And then there, there, there's one huge cipher in the middle of it. This one it's, character who's just... And like I said, we're only three, right. three episodes in. But I will tell you, I knew the basic premise going into the mm-hmm. episode, and damned if I wasn't totally fucking flabbergasted by the end of the first episode. Right. And like I said, it's like 34 minutes long. Each of these episodes, they're half an hour long. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to lose too much of your time. If it's not your vibe, you'll know pretty much right away. Right. But it might be your vibe. Check it out. It's very, yeah. And, and it's really strange. It's really weird. And it, yeah, I'm anxious to find out what happens next because... Yeah, that first twist is amazing. I stole your thunder. Is, is okay. Did I just... Is no, that, that's absolutely... Because I was trying to remember something. If there's been so much in the last What I would years. like to implore you is to not see the way of water. Okay. If we're going that direction. I mean, look. Mm-hmm. The movie's going to make the money that the movie's going to make. And people who like the movie are going to like the movie. I didn't particularly care for the first Avatar, but I thought it was beautiful. So I thought, hey, I'll get high. I'll go watch this movie. It'll be great. First of all, I'd just driven for five hours. And then I sat in a movie theater for three hours and 12 minutes on top of the trailers. It's too long. It's too 
long to ask someone to sit in a movie mm. theater for that long. I watched, and and B, I watched a 3D version of it, and I think it looked terrible. And I don't know if it's because of the 3D glasses and the darkening and the, but it looked like. I was watching a PBS show from the 70s with motion smoothing on. You know when motion right. smoothing is on and I'm like, why does this look like a PBS play? Um, it looked like that, except with like a higher pyrotechnics budget, except when they were underwater, which didn't happen for the first 90 minutes of the movie. It's so long. Mm. <sighs> well, I would... So I, I don't, I can't, please don't. I would similarly do recommend that. that people avoid... Halloween ends. Oh yeah, you said Halloween ends, which, which is not good. Uh, the uh, our other roommate and I watched it, and we are of of an age to where we remember that first movie coming out and how scary it was, and we we saw it. As a matter of fact, for the podcast, I think. And um, I haven't seen the last two in the right. la- in the final trilogy. I really like that first that one. First one was great. Apparently, it kind of falls off on the, the second, second one, one and then weird, just really and falls off. The third off one is completely inexplicable. Like, why did they even bother if you're not going to address any of the things from the first couple of films? Like, yeah, that, then I'm going to just hold on to the thing that I liked, and I don't need right. to watch the other two. Because at the end of it, I'm going, well, what was that about? But anyhow, so yes, since we're recommending things not to watch. Yeah, so sorry about that. We don't usually do that, but again, three hours and public 12 minutes. Announcement. You can see it when, when when you can go to the bathroom on your terms, when right. you can take a pause on your terms. It's right. just, it's so long. long. And mm-hmm. really, it's not... Y'all saw Avatar. Remember how Avatar was every movie you've ever seen and right. and was derivative of literally every major theme that had been put forward in the last 20 years? Mm-hmm. It was Fern Gully, but, like, fancy. Right. That, again. Like, mm. not to mention, I feel like the characters were not... <sighs> like Zoe Saldana is almost unrecognizable, and I'm like, did they just not have her on set as much? Or, like, what's going... It was very strange. And also, the youngening of Sigourney Weaver makes her look like Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and it's very confusing. So, these are, these are my issues with Avatar. Okay. But it's... But it's what I'm, but fundamentally, it's it's not a particularly compelling or innovative story. Mm-hmm. So yes, I'm sure it's pretty to look at. Although, like I said, in 3D, it fucking wasn't. Um, but you don't you don't need to right see one of those movies with Jonathan Majors in it. Creed, yes. Ant Man, yes. I've heard good things about both. <laughs> um, So that's going to do it for this week. Next week, we're going to watch The Terminator and talk to you all about it. And we're going to discuss what happens in April. Mm, Okay. Uh, Because that will be our last March episode. Uh, Until then, if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can always find us uh, by emailing us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for Latecomers Podcast in the search bar. Or we're still on Twitter Mm. while Twitter is holding on. I don't think it's going to be much longer now, but we'll see. Um, And I would like to remind you to please, please take care of yourself and take your medicine. And we'd like to remind you, better better late late than than never. never.